Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And And this this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we have an exciting reflection on the previous week. Yes, the week was an amazing week. It was a big week. It was a dramatic week. It was reflective. It was experimental. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so reflective, hence now. Right. We were not in tranquility. No, we were not. Now we're in total tranquility. Now all we're doing is juggling, you know. And as usual, I I was going to say, as usual, our uh, mascot slash pet slash best friend is curled up in the corner today. So if you hear a little click, 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 that would be him. I was trying to avoid using his name because, look, he woke him up. Not deeply. <laughs> not deeply. I thought it was like a, one of those social media things, like people protect their kids by not saying their names. I thought maybe you just didn't want him. No, his, I don't want anyone privacy coming. privacy jeopardized right. by mentioning him on the podcast. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's start with what are we working on now? And hey, maybe why don't you start? I'll start since you're kind of our guest. You're, you're sort of occupying two seats mm-hmm. here. Um, but So I am. Which, so, by the way, sounds attractive. <laughs> So one of the things that happened to me last week is that I kind of spontaneously ended up being craft services, costuming, props, and a little bit of boom work and a little bit of production work for a film that happened to be happening in my household. So that was, for some reason, unexpected in that way and, uh, and did interfere with my revision, mm-hmm. um, though probably in equal measure... Some kind of internal resistance also interfered. But the truth is, I always get up early and I write. And when I'm writing in the early morning, I'm always, you know, if I'm not writing scenes, I'm writing about it. And if I write about it enough, I end up opening into a scene. Um, And even when I'm driving, I dictate stuff into Evernote. Although I will say that, like, my passages from Evernote now make no sense at all. In fact, I'm just going to give you a sample of one thing that I wrote while I was driving. <laughs> that I can't make any sense of anymore. You ready for this? I am. Okay. So um, here. So this is. So I dictated this, and this is what Evernote caught of it. It was as if that one irrational moment had Steve and his <laughs> entire expectation of her, as if she had to carry forth in the same irrational ma- manner. Um, blah blah blah. He seems to resent her commitment to rationality in the face. I guess that. I guess anyway. I just like couldn't make sense of it anymore. Um, so, so this was transcribing was, what you were saying, supposedly, right? And and I don't even know. Like, and it was as if that one irrational moment had stevened his entire expectation of her. Stevened. Steve and Steve and his had stevened his. I think that's one word. Stevened S- had. St- it's like meaning, so, and I think it even means sort of, sort of. Created. It's like once you've been on the Colbert show, you've been Stevened. <laughs> but it, no, I mean, I think it's not like I'm trying to speak German or something. I think that it took a word I said and made it into Steve and his. Okay, but it was really something so else. So this is what you're working on this week. So anyway, well, my point was that last week I got to do productive things like that. Uh huh. <laughs> Dictate into my phone and then be like, "What the hell was I actually meaning?" This. So today, this morning, I sat down and kind of did the met, like backed up and was like, "Okay, what's my meta thing? What's my process here?" Because I'm actually kind of, I'm probably against, you know, doctor's advice doing many layers of revision all at once, right? Like I'm thinking on macro and micro levels. 
And it can be confusing. And I just need to pull back to when I'm starting again and like go, what am I doing? What's well, it the kind picture? of makes me think that uh, the key there would be capture. What is capture? So when you're talking about working on the micro and the macro, the reason we often say like do your like fine polishing after mm-hmm. you've done that larger stuff is because, again, things can change. You don't know what's actually going to be there. Right. But if you're a person who bounces rapidly between them, then it really is just a matter of capturing your thinking rather than executing on it. Oh, like like reading through and editing but not making the changes. Mm-hmm. Well, all incredibly tempting for sure. Like every, I would so much rather tell myself, write a scene here. But then I also find that – and I do that a lot. That's definitely a way that I work a lot because it is much easier to – think you should make a change if you don't have to make it right that second. It's not time <laughs> to make a change. But um, when I'm in the flow of the story because I'm reading it, I actually, there's so much more nuance than if I go back and I'm like, oh yeah, I had to write that scene, right? Like I'm, I'm in the midst, I remember just what, all the nuances of what just happened. Well, maybe you can say what needs macro versus micro means to you. Well, I think you're on it. Like, so macro is... Um, Macro is like moving scenes around, cutting certain Mm -hmm. plot elements, adding in other plot elements. Um, Macro is also like, let me look at all the things, including the little things that I'm supposed to do and see, like, am I doing that? I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. About is the idea that capture... For me, it would be like making a note. You feel like you can't just make a note. Like if you made a note, you wouldn't really be able to come back to the flow. Or you don't trust the I think I think you're right. Like, I think that, like, this morning I was editing in bed um, at, like, you know, 6 a.m. And I came to a point where I was like, oh, it says, you know, write the scene or whatever. I had an idea and I wrote it. But then it was like, I didn't want to write the scene. And so I stopped editing. Mm. So I think that sometimes just putting my editing hat on and plowing through and doing it is really effective because I just got incredibly detailed notes from my editor. I'm trying to sort of read actually with my writer hat on and I realized that my that keeps slipping. So I actually ended up doing a lot of editing and then going back and being like, oh, I didn't wasn't specifically addressing her notes that, you know, because they came in the end note and not on the page. And so so that's part of what happened was I realized suddenly I'd done all these things, but they weren't the specific things that had been suggested. And right. And so that's what I was sort of talking about. Like when we talk about breaking these things up, first of all, everyone's going to do what makes sense for them. Yeah. We've always said that. But I also think there's something to be said for capturing the idea. And so you, when you then go to address the idea, breaking those captures into actionable items. So, you know, write mm-hmm. this scene. Right. It's not a actually deeply actionable item mm-hmm. in some ways. Right. Well, it well, can that's be. That's what we talk about when we do the scene list, that we try to include what the conflict of the scene is and what the outcome of the scene is, right? And so that even if you're writing that one sentence, write this scene, it's write the scene where X, Y, and Z happens. And then that way, when you go back to write it, you have something actionable. Yeah. I'm now going to write this scene with this shape. Actually, somebody wrote me a question, which we should just make into its a whole own episode mm-hmm. that um, that was about kind of uh, when to summarize, when to put go into scene, when to skip something yeah. altogether. And I and I went right back to that step list because if you know why a scene's there, then you know why you can't cut it or how you have to make another scene hold that bear that weight if you're going to cut it. Right. But you you can't you know otherwise like that sense of like I don't know I don't know if it belongs. 
you know, you, you can get rid of it by that. So anyway, um, but that's, that would be a great next episode. Um, so yeah, so I think partly because I'm re-entering the process sort of two thirds of the way through the edit slash mm-hmm. whatever, I'm, I'm, I may use capture to just plow through the rest, but I'm also, like I said, backing up looking from the macro and I may actually go in because now I've written tons of scenes in my journal in this uh, ineffective dictation and in the manuscript so part of me wants to just go and like integrate it all so that I have like that two-thirds kind of done and I've also made notes like I thought when you were talking about capture like just to make notes like this is happening like a, a really simple outline I, I kind of what I actually meant was something as simple as something like um like David Allen's getting things done Right, and that you have items. Show notes. Yes, when you have items that are going to take more than two minutes to do, you actually are, you know, picking a time to do them. But you also break things down. Things that take more than one action is a project, and not an action <laughs> item. And so that's sort of what I was thinking about: yes. so capturing things and not trying to execute on projects, but on actions. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I think what I want to anyway the other so the other piece is now actioning all those things that you know and inputting and whatever so that then when I go to the end I'm really strong with what has changed right so the Mm -hmm. end is really shaped by this solid sense of what comes before it right so yeah but I, I don't I generally agree with you about editing separating that and in this case I didn't entirely do that because well, like I said at the beginning. Yeah, everybody it was, does it their own way. And everybody does it differently. Every time That's why it. our revision workshop or revision Sonoma County Writers Camp is called the same river twice, because you can't step in the same river twice. Mm. It's like a Buddhist precept. But you can step in the same pile of dog <laughs> <laughs> But your manuscript is a river, not a pile of dog <laughs> And now for something completely different. Wait, you mean your mic working? Yes. Well, let's uh, let's honor returning you your voice by talking about this week, which which you've mentioned in previous podcasts as something you're preparing for. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't you talk about what the experiment was and how it went? The main experiment. Look at that. Anyway, the main experiment was to collaborate with actors around you know generating script and to really do as much as a one-person production crew as I could. <laughs> you have to, it's like it's like those one-person bands where you have, like, the cymbals and the drums and some kind of guitar on your back that you pluck and a harmonica strapped and to I your... think there are categories... I think I've learned a lot. I think, you know, if I were going to be super concise and, and just keep this to, like, a 15-minute podcast... Um, <laughs> Given that the film's going to be only 15 minutes or so. If that... Um, there were certain categories of responsibility that fit well together, right? Lighting and shooting, <laughs> those fit well together. Sound, you can kind of get away with a little bit if you have a good onboard mic for your camera, meaning, you know, we were using a Rode microphone that is designed to be plugged in in addition to a boom mic. And just to say that my children were crewing and so (laughs) my oldest son who is 12 did uh, both recording lavalier mics and 
did some booming. And so I haven't had a chance to bring all of that in. But, you know, one of the things you kind of... And he really loved doing it. Yeah. And it was amazing how quickly he was able to understand the recorder, how to identify uh, when it needed phantom power, when it needed not phantom power, what channels things were coming in. Um, So he did a great job. And at the same time... And his brother slated. Yes. And helped with some other things, too. He... um, like crawled through some sand with a GoPro on his head, that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's his second camera. Yes, so he was second camera. So anyway, so the main thing is, you know, looking at the categories of things you were trying to bring together. And again, of course, because I was framing this always as an experiment, I was able to take a lot of the pressure off of it, mm-hmm. out of the product. I will say though, I think that framing it as an experiment um, really helped in that way, and. Like, I think next time you do it, having more confidence in the process, you will probably be more open to inviting people to be part of it. Yeah, because I was going to get to this. Okay. Which was, there are other categories that are terrible to try and integrate into a larger situation. So we were super lucky in having friends who, again, donated space and beautiful, beautiful things. And um, so we were able to use those. But I not only was, like, working on making sure we were, like, hitting the number of pages we needed to each day, um, working with the actors, shooting it, you know, supporting my 12-year-old while he was getting up and running on the sound equipment. I was also in charge of stupid things like, and I say stupid because these are, because they're not things you can clump together easily. Uh, so, hey, wardrobe, hey, um, makeup, right? So I was like, this morning what I'm going to do is print out a temporary tattoo, <laughs> apply it, make sure I understand how that works, make sure it comes with us. Um, and and there were like a number of props that were like that. It was like, like, yeah, I like could we see have to doing... stop by the store on the way to the shoot to pick up, you know, bath salts or whatever. Right. And so it just... Oh, your mom, too. Yeah. And then we raided my mother's house. Actually, your mom went, like, got brought in at the 11th hour, too. She you totally were like, did. hey, you want to be in it? Yes. Can we meet at your house? Can we use your house? Do you have Again. a chitin? Do you have Epsom salts? Yes. So, but just to say, like, I could really see, like, oh, you've got a team of three. And one person's sole responsibility, like the only things they do have nothing to do with anything except for um, like set design, like mm-hmm. making sure that makeup is like consistent. Mm-hmm. And um, which is so that's also continuity, though. Yeah. Right? Is it continuity for set, too, or just faces? Well, I think, you know, you again, you can have you one can person go, do all of the physical like continuity right. and design. I think you could, right? If you're trying to say, like, what is the minimum number of people you could do it? Um, In in an ideal world, you would have one person dedicated to sound just because sound is its own thing. All right, great. Let's let's fantasize an ideal world. An an ideal world. You've got your three-person crew. And, um, you know, I know Ed Burns has, you know, his book, and he's got some friends. His book is called? um, I don't don't remember. Ed Burns' book. Anyway, um, so he talks about, like, so he, like, writes and directs, and his friend is a cinematographer, and he's got a f- 
friend who's a sound person. And a lot of the stuff that he does, which I think is laudable in its attempt, you can tell that these are people's rando houses. Like, they don't have a feeling of... Um, set design. Set design. Because, and because for whatever reason, when you have organic mess, it doesn't shoot well. Well, I want to, that, that makes sense. And because I think there's a writing tip in here for people who are writers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, set design, it's like everything in a narrative, whether it's film or on the page or whatever, everything in a narrative does more than one thing. Everything matters. So if you see something, you know, it means something. It means something about the emotional state of the character. It means something about the mood. It means something about the theme. So in a, in fiction, it's it's okay. You can just describe that thing. And what people sometimes do that's equivalent to like rando set is kind of pull, put in something that's like, oh, I need mm. a little description here. And there's some description, but it actually doesn't build the mood, doesn't contribute to the story in any way. Well, in film... It's, it's way more complicated because everything's well, visible. And I'm going to actually go one deeper, which is that in one of the setups, I actually examined this while I was doing my school program, a, a, a messy room in the film Y Tu Mama Tambien mm-hmm. and a messy room in, I don't know, what was it, McCullen's Christmas or something. It was, Another film. Well, it was Ed Burns' film, ah. right? So. I was looking at those two different films and looking at sort of what a messy room looks like. And which sounds ridiculous, <laughs> it doesn't right? It not sound ridiculous. It just sounds like our lives. Well, it sounds like our lives. But like why when I view an image that came from that movie, right? So you have a young teenage girl who's got a messy, messy room. No, this is in Itu Mama Tambien. And, you know, she and her boyfriend are hooking up before they go their separate ways for the summer. And... You know, and I was trying to think, like, what is it that actually makes that an engaging image, even though you probably have the same total weight volume of crap in the room? Mm. And what it was was that they shot in Itumama Tambien, they shot from above. So the bed itself became negative space. Mm. So we had sort of simplified the visual in part of that, right? So you were able to have this place where it's, your eye can relax because it doesn't know where to go. Right. And so if you don't have that space, and so you go into somebody's house who's got a million tchotchkes and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing because these million tchotchkes say exactly who this character is and whatever, you still need to be able to create a shot that is not so messy that your audience doesn't know where to look. And I will say also, though, if you went into somebody's random house, even like I would venture to say, like even if you were making a documentary, right, the things you would take B-roll of, the things you would linger on, it would depend on what you were what you were doing. So like, Absolutely. for example, like we, we may have the footage for a partial documentary about Jeanne, the mm-hmm. concert pianist in our family. And, you know, if you were going to make that, you you know, what you would zero in on in her apartment for that film would be really different than if you wanted to do one about her being an immigrant or her being a mother or, right? right. Like, and so even if, even in real life with documentary or memoir, you there's still that powerful kind of selection and, and what you draw someone's attention to. And what you take out, right? And what you take because out. Because if you have too much, you don't, you can't do that selection. Yeah, so fascinating. So that was one piece why I'm saying, like, get a set designer prop person, right, who yeah. is responsible for that. Actors can, to a certain extent, do their own makeup. 
But the other piece that was the big experiment about this was we started this process and I had a seven line outline, right? I did my seven steps. And so I had seven lines about a character. Okay. And so, Which character? Uh, about Alex. The, the character that Rachel The, the character Alex, yeah. And working with Rachel and Alexander... You know, we, they, you know, they worked through some scenes that then helped me um, really make these characters concrete in a different way. And so... And I want to say even just, just, and we we sort of, this is going to, we should probably do a part two to this podcast. Um, But, um, but... First, you were like, who's going to be in it? Okay, mm-hmm. you know, my mom's going to be in it. My kids are going to be in it. These two actors are going to be in it. And then you created a seven-step outline, right, based right. on those things. And then, which is just interesting in terms of like, I mean, for you, it was practical. Like, who are my actors? But it could be for someone else, like, what characters matter to me? Or what elements right. do I want to pull in? Then you made the seven steps, and then you experimented with the actors. Right. And so it was just... in. An examination of collaboration and what that looks like and how you, there were things that the actors could bring that I couldn't necessarily just sit in front of my computer and conjure, right? And so their playfulness, their curiosity, their um, specific skills helped me then take my own writerly self and go further, right? So in we started on Monday, I think, and by Wednesday night, we we had locked a ten page script. Well, you did, and that was amazing. I mean, everybody was just to say because you'll never say it, but everyone was kind of blown away because you took the seven steps, you spent a day like improvising with the actors, you came up with a script, you you read, did read throughs and more kind of exploring, mm-hmm. and then you revised the script, and then you, they were practicing getting on book, and you were right. I mean, that was yeah, it was. Anyway, just to say hats off to you. That well, let's see how the product goes. Remarkable. We'll, when we get the product done, we can share it and people can see whether or not. But the idea is that the experiment was really looking at things that I, you know, kind of intuitively already feel. So some people are like, I only like to write alone. And I think the truth is if you are someone who can collaborate, you're going to create something much, much richer. And the truth is at some point you are always going to collaborate. Even if you mm-hmm. write something like completely alone – um, at some point, like if you you're gonna want maybe a reader or no readers, no. Nope. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we're we've just logistically run out of time. Although I feel like there's a lot more we could talk about. So we I might also want to say hi to Karina, who took a moment to go ahead and come uh, to our website and to comment and greet us. And hi, Karina. Yeah, and and I hope your uh, photo editing is going well. I also I don't know if we announced this yet, but. Um, Angie's film, Lost in the Middle, the feature film, was accepted to its first film festival. Film festival! So yay to rejections and acceptance. So we'll be in Venice, California on August 29th, Thursday evening. For the 14th annual Broad Broad Humor Film Film Festival, Festival. which is broadhumor.com. So come, if you're in L.A. or you just want to drive 3,000 miles or whatever... Come, come see or us. Venice. 7 yeah. p.m. on Thursday. Yes. August. What did you just say? 29th. August 29th. That's that Labor Day weekend. So. Yes, it is Labor Day weekend. Yeah, and then so the, exciting. Um, the welcome, the kickoff party happens right after our screening. So, so that's, you know, twofer. There you yes. Go. So um, anyway, it is time for Steal This. 
Amateur poets borrow, professional, professional poets, poets steal. steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? So I will just say that somehow, even though I had to drop my writing <laughs> mostly um, and do tons and tons of production, I actually also read a book this week, which was Sally Rooney's Normal People. Mm. And I haven't read her first book yet. She's like 28 or something. Mm-hmm. And this is her second book. So, you know, do what you want with that. Um, and it just was fabulous. I thought it was really wonderful. And... Um, and so emotionally and psychologically sort of um, astute and nuanced. And um, so that's, of course, something I'm always striving for. And it had, it's had a, such a deep authenticity to, to me. It felt mm-hmm. really authentic, both, both characters. And the power dynamic kept shifting. I mean, there's a lot to say about it, but I, I really recommend it. And I definitely am going to be... It's not like at all like what I'm doing right now, but it's... Um, it's just inspiring. Nice. Nice. Um, well, I think I happily reminded myself of getting things done. So, Yeah. I think I struggle a lot with, you know, I have so many competing chunks of, and obligation is the wrong word, you know, things that I'm trying to get opportunities. done. Opportunities. So many competing opportunities. <laughs> yes. So many. Um, so I think that I'm going to, just plug getting things done. I think there's ways in which it can feel a little overwhelming, but I think the thing that is really exciting is to say to yourself, does this take more than two steps? And if so, it's a project and think about it. How do you break down? I just want to say that this might be TMI, but like when the babies were really little, we like did the step one, which was like put everything into inboxes. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think we've never looked through those boxes those again. The same boxes are in the attic. But you know what? It was sort of like a Marie Kondo slash hoarder. I know. I guess the question no longer is, does it bring you joy? But do you know where it is? 